0: It's fine. Is that is that better now?
1: No, but it. Well, maybe.
0: Very faint.
1: Yeah, that's good.
2: I mean, it, it, it's ambiance.
1: When on. you when you say something, we'll hear it, but that's not a problem. So talk.
0: So you just want me to talk the entire time now? So well, you, you kind of do that anyway. <laughs> Asshole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know you know you're a talker. I wouldn't I mean, say
2: Skype is at least able to allow all of us to hear each other speak at the same time. Like we could actually sing acapella if we could get the timing, right?
1: Yeah.
0: It all, it all depends on whether or not I've slept. I talk more when I haven't slept and I did not sleep much last night. So I'm warning you now. Oh,
1: shit. what happened? Gonna have,
0: well, I well, got, Brian's going to just talk about four o'clock. we will be talking all <laughs> the freaking night. I'm going to be real chatty. You wait. Yeah, watch. You can always tell. If, if I'm real chatty, I have a threat.
1: That is a freaking loud track. I'm missing a track. What track am I missing? Uh, there's supposed to be 11, but I only have. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I get up And nothing ever gets me down You got a tough (laughs) I've seen the toughest around And I know Baby, just how you feel How you feel You got a road With with the punches punches to to get get to what's real real. Oh can't you see me standing here I got my back against the record machine I ain't the worst that you've seen Can't you see what I mean Might as well jump. jump Jump Who the jump. hell is this? It's Paul Anka. Go ahead, jump!
0: jump. <laughs> Terrible. Go ahead and jump. jump. It's beautiful. Terrible. <laughs>
3: hey, you. Huh. Hey, babe. How you been?
1: You don't like that? It's. No. Be- it's beautiful. Here, listen to this one.
3: Load up my guns and bring your friends. It's fun to lose and to pretend. She's overboard, she's self assured. Oh, no, I know. A dirty word. Hello, 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 hello.
1: It's beautiful, isn't it?
0: Arcade radio. Aww, that's so good. Uh, good, good, good plan there, Adam. The night we're having Jeff Lee on here, you couldn't do a Qbert one.
4: Uh, hmm? son mm? of yeah, well,
1: I just won't show him.
0: Yeah we see it. Mm. It looks good. It's Some right. of us drive to <laughs> Moser, drive to Iowa to pick up games for the show. Others of us make Donkey Kong watch faces
2: or almost Mexico
1: for me. <laughs> <laughs> I could drive to Mexico. You do not want to. An understanding, women.
4: Hello. Hi.
5: Right. There we got you. I ended and accepted this one. Apparently, we need. Awesome. Needed, so, now so now I'm in the group call. Yeah. You are. Okay. Cool. All right. I'm put you on speaker here. Sure. Fantastic.
1: Uh, it's too bad he can't see your screen.
5: <laughs> okay, now I can hear you.
1: <laughs> good. Yeah, uh, well, it's a, a, a new lesson. Like, if we're going to call somebody, I actually have to have money in my account. So. Oh. <laughs> what? Yeah, apparently. They, they don't let you call people for free, apparently. You mean Skype doesn't. Right. Right.
5: Okay. Well, it's a good thing you have a big budget. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Huge. We're, we have a huge budget. <laughs>
5: <laughs> How often does this happen?
1: Every other ever Thursday. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. all right. But
5: uh we'll, so, who am I who am I talking to besides you, Adam?
1: Yeah, I was Thanks. just going to introduce you. Uh guys, Mark Brian, this is Jeff Lee.
5: Okay.
2: Hello Good
1: Mark. Sh- Mark oh, Shields
5: right. here. Yes. Yeah. We met, we met at MGC and we talked the other day
0: and I, and I owe you some stuff that I'm sending uh, you info on tomorrow. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) All right. And
5: Mark, Mark, have I met Mark? Uh,
0: I I don't
2: think so. I am a collector. I'm in Houston at the moment.
5: Okay. Nice to meet you, Mark. What's your last name, Mark?
2: Shields like Brooke Shields.
4: Okay. Mark Shields. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right. Well, a pleasure. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, sir. And, and Jeff, what you missed is that uh, um, behind me is a, a Mad Planets. Oh, really? <laughs> I I drove I drove to. Well, we're going to go over some stuff. I'll talk about some of the other things I did today. But I drove to Iowa this morning and happened to pick up this game today. Wow! From a private collector or an yes. arcade or yeah. S- an original Mad Planet or has it has been it, no, it is all original. It's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. It's crispy. It's in phenomenal yeah. shape. It's the yes. art really the art on the front is missing the below the control panel, so I'm gonna have to get a repro of that, but everything else is, is just gorgeous. Oh okay, cool. Yeah, they're probably a little harder to find than q huh? Uh yeah, just a little bit. <laughs>
2: Funny you mention that I could not find a cubert for the show, so I have a kick. <laughs> kick. It starts with a Q, so yeah, yeah,
5: well, yeah. That's, yeah, that's one letter in. So yeah, Mad Planets is kind of the controls we're talking about. For I was talking to Brian about for uh, this game that, that Tom and I have been working on. Um, you know, Mad Planet controls would be perfect. That spinner. Yep joystick yeah it'd be great so uh we'll have awesome. you, so uh, uh short and running and are you guys uh old hands with bad plans or is this a new one
0: for you guys Th- this is brand new for me I mean I just literally just picked it up um it's one that I've played several times enjoyed kept my eyes out for years and I'm one of those guys that kind of has a a list I kind of have a list of three to five games I'm always looking for and it changes as I find them Mm-hmm. And um, I just this one just came up. I, I threw an offer out at of a guy for a bunch of games, and Mad Planets was one of them, and he he took it, and uh, I consider myself very lucky. <laughs> wow! Yeah, yeah.
5: So, how if you don't mind me asking, how much did it go for? Uh, it, I will I will
0: tell you after the show. <laughs> <laughs>
5: <Okay>. <laughs> I remember when I was researching my uh, the. Uh, a memoir that I wrote, that I published last fall, and um, so I'd been going through a lot of my old correspondence. I particularly had a lot of correspondence in the '90s when the internet was really coming into being, and uh, so I was hearing from you know fans of the games because I'd put up a Cubert page um, years and years ago, so people were able to contact me then, and. This guy was talking about a mad planet. He picked up for like 50 bucks or something like that. It was, well, Those it was this was in the 19, early 1990s. Yeah, um, He heard some lady had, or some collector, someone had it. They didn't really want it. So he says, I'll be right over. And he jumped in his pickup and drove down to like Indiana or whatever. <laughs> picked up this mad planets which was in pretty good shape at that time and uh, for fifty bucks became a proud owner so there, there what became still... that machine who
0: knows hopefully he's kept it in tip top shape. Some of those deals still exist but they are not definitely not as common as they used to be. I suppose it depends on
5: who the uh recipient of the machine is. If it's like you know maybe the widow of uh, some collector or for some guy that was in the industry, they may not know the value of
0: these uh, machines. No, just and, them out. <laughs> yeah, and the good ones, I mean, like a lot of us will fix them. So, I mean, obviously if you can find them broken, uh, usually that helps a lot, the value, or dropping the value. So you find some deals. But it's, uh, it is is definitely, um, some of these cabinets have definitely become really expensive uh, relative to what they used to be. I'm glad I had a stash from about 10, 15 years ago because, it's, it's, if I had to buy some of the stuff I, I have now, it, I <laughs> there's a number of pieces I wouldn't have. Right, right. You'd have no budget for this podcast,
4: right? <laughs> <laughs> too late.
1: Too too late. Well, you know, I, I, we are running a little late, but uh, I think I should just get things going here. Uh, Want to uh, kick off the show? Let's kick off the show. Um, hang on to your boots, everybody. Here we go.
4: Hello, I ain't Take a cue from the cube, hey, it's Cuber. Take a cue, me and you, and Cuber, me and you, and Cuber, me and
1: you. Live from KOYR Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota,
4: this is r Radio computer reporting, intruder alert, intruder alert.
1: Hello, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 15 of the Arcade Radio Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 2nd, 2019, and the time is now approximately 7.36 p.m. Central. Thanks for joining us in the Arcadosphere. This is your host, Captain Adam T. Kirk. I'm joined by my co-host, Science Officer, Mark Dime Runner Shields, and Paradise Arcade Shop Proprietor and Part-Time Federation of Planets Admiral, Brian Thurston Howell III, and tonight... Mad Planets, Mach 3, Three Stooges, kubert what do they all have in common? Jeff Lee, and he's here tonight to share why. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Great to have you on board. Uh, we have a first little uh, segment we like to dive right into is, uh, what have you been working on? So, uh, Brian, why don't you reiterate, reiterate what you were just talking about here? You, you uh... You have this beautiful machine behind you.
0: I had the uh, pleasure of driving down to Iowa, getting up at 4.30 in the morning so I could be back for the podcast
1: tonight. Thank you very much, by the way. That's very kind of you.
0: And uh, had a nice pickup today. I, I picked up a uh, dedicated Mad Planets, uh, Wacko, an Armor Attack, um, a Star Castle, and a Missile Command Cabaret this morning. So just had a, uh, somebody that I knew was getting rid of some games basically put an offer down and um, had a nice little drive this morning, five <laughs> hours down, five hours back and had to haul the damn uh, oh. armor attack out of a basement.
1: <laughs> it sounds like a two no. in gen. No. Hole. Actually, but, Jen but is Tim in the sh- game, right? Oh, I'm sorry. I just talked right over you, Jeff. Go ahead.
5: Yeah. All right. I, I was, I was budding in here. Armor attack is that's Tim Skelly's game, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. One of the first video games I played.
1: Awesome. What'd you think of it, man? Oh, yeah.
5: Well, I loved it. It uh I mean it was all new to me at that point, and uh I was working at a a community college um, in the early 80s. Uh there was a golf course, a driving range across the street, and they had like a little clubhouse and they had you know two or three video games in there, and armor attack was one of them. Well, that's um cool. And so it was that and like asteroids, was, you know, some of the first games I had played. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, of course it, it was amazing to me, you know, within a year or so when I was working at Gottlieb, there I was working alongside Tim Skelly who had done armor attack. So <laughs> <laughs> and that guy was
0: like, he was a pioneer. Yeah. <laughs> he He's definitely done some neat stuff. He did star castle too, I believe. So I think I picked up two. Castle? two yeah. Tim Skellies today. Um, wow. and then that I've got a Ripoff and a warrior at the house. So I've got quite a little collection there. Wow. You got like the,
5: the Cinematronics, uh, trifecta plus one. What would that be? Uh,
0: uh, I, I like games that break a lot. <laughs> <laughs> is that, well, is that Cinematronics yeah. it's, they were reliable in the day, but be, you know, the, um, just some of these games, especially the vectors now, I mean, they tend to go down and the cinematronics because of some of the ways the monitors are set up can be sometimes difficult to maintain when they go down. But, uh, 40 years old. Yep. (laughs) So, but this, uh, this trip this morning was, was a lot of fun. Uh, I know Susan was, uh, my wife was regretting me making the drive down there, but, uh, I had a blast. This is the last day off I've got for a little while. So and I have a beautiful mad planets behind me now. Awesome. Well I was driving through Iowa today too. On my way to
1: On your way to where? We
5: uh we're in Omaha. We're uh I drove out here with my wife and we're out here for the weekend, uh for the uh, Berkshire Hathaway shareholders meeting. That's something she does the last few years and uh so this year I thought, what the heck, I'll go out there with her.
1: Oh, that sounds sweet. Um,
5: yeah, so we
0: Interstate eighty all the way across. The we probably crossed paths today. <laughs> yeah. So where where did your trip take you to? Just south of Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids. Okay.
4: So oh, just so just east
0: east of uh, Des Moines, and go south a little okay. ways, and middle of the country, and.
1: Well, on on that same note, for what you've been working on, I, I haven't been working on a whole lot. Uh, but I did see a Tim Skelly game this week. Uh, I went to Game Changers at the Science Museum in Minnesota. And uh, it's this exhibit where they take you from the arcade days and the glory days and walk you through modern gaming. Uh, so you end up at like an Xbox One. Uh, so it was kind of cool. You walk in, Eugene Jarvis's name is right there, and there's a Defender and a Robotron. <clears throat> and then... Um, You know, followed by other uh, greats. But uh, Tim Skelly was in there with Ripoff. Um, Oh, wow. And then Dave Thurs, uh, both Tempest and Missile Command were there. Um, And then Toru Itani, of course, with Pac-Man. So, uh, oh, and uh, Shigeru Miyamoto with some game called Donkey Kong. So... (laughs) Never heard of that one. (laughs) But yeah, there was... uh, Tomoharu no Shikido, which, uh, a couple of games that he made, uh, there was a title representation. Uh, so, uh, Ed Log with asteroids, of course, uh, and centipede. Uh, so yeah, just, uh, really kind of a small g- g- game room, but, uh, very reminiscent of all three of our basements. I also picked mm. up this Black Emperor 7-inch, uh, it's a new modern game, and they they made a vinyl pressing of the soundtrack, which is kind of funny. So I picked that up, and uh, I dug out my Qbert book because I know that uh, I know that Jeff has a story about this. So, and I actually, it, Jen's in the in the chat tonight, and I think she inspired me to buy this because she found one somewhere, and I was like, okay, I got on eBay right away and bought one. It's a Hubert storybook, but it's kind kind of cute. So, uh, uh, okay. I've seen a couple of those. Yeah, why don't you tell us the story of this since we're on that subject about
5: how I acquired a Hubert
1: storybook? Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's a good story.
5: Uh, okay, it's the same story I'm thinking of. My uh, my oldest daughter was at the age of three and a half. She had major heart surgery um at the University of Chicago uh Children's Hospital. And uh it was a big deal. Uh she was in there for a couple weeks and then they had to go back in again. So we ended up spending a month down there and there was like a you know a Ronald McDonald house. Um thank heavens it was it was a great convenience and um you know savor to us to be able to stay a place like that. Yeah. Um we had we have a, an older son who, you know, then grandparents were kicking in, watching him, my wife and I would back and forth. Anyway, we'd take Molly out for a walk around as she got more recovered, and there was a like a play area, toys and books, and there I saw a Hubert storybook, which I had, had no idea that existed. Uh, so I stole it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that was nice. And- <laughs> Yeah, what the heck, you know,
5: <laughs> it well, meant nothing to them, but uh, it was uh, meaningful to me. So, yeah. That's good.
1: I love it. I'm
5: sure it's just a misdemeanor and uh, statute limitations. Uh,
1: oh, Mark, what have you been working on? Well, let's see. I,
2: I've summarized everything so that it's super fast. Um, I bought a four player Sega hot rod <laughs> so that I can join the club now with Brian. Uh, I sold a Mortal Kombat One cabinet to a a local guy. It's his first cabinet he was super stoked. He gave me beer actually and a comic book. so I think that I did good good uh i I did a tube swap in my Atari food fight, so now instead of seeing the burn, I don't see any burn. It's beautiful uh, and then let's see. I team molded a century gyrus. I've been busy, yeah. I, I had to actually use my hot melt glue gun, which I haven't seen in like, like a half a year. So I had to find that. And, so that was fine. And then I upgraded my internets to one gigabits or whatever that yes. is. And so we'll see, but not today.
1: Yeah. You so gotta it, get the router and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Sweet. So that's all the stuff I do. I mean, my kitchen got a new sliding glass door, which I like, <laughs> but I, I didn't really do that. I just hired
1: some nice. dude. very tangential. <laughs> I like it. <laughs>
5: Channel stage Israel, government, business, merger, refugees, oil supply, defense, a clan, education,
2: education strikes, riot, candid science, celebrity, the earth, the universe, the news channel. Today I'm Bob Kahn. And I'm your blog assistant. This
5: is the news channel. We interrupt the penalted. And
4: now the arcade news with Burn
0: Cloud. Welcome to the news tonight. So we have a couple of articles, and we've got uh, a couple of gadgets, or actually, some gadgets and announcements. I guess updates to old gadgets. So just starting at the top, uh BGR.com leaked uh, service. Uh, Samsung seems to be have, have uh, filed for a patent and a trademark on a, a new service that uh, may appear to compete with Apple Arcade. Um, have some downloadable mobile uh, game application software and kind of fit into that market uh, that seems to be ever-growing of uh, create an arcade on your phone or device. Um, it's unclear as to what exactly is going to be involved in it. Uh, but there were some screenshots taken and uh, patents filed and trademarks filed. So uh, the patent says it's downloadable mobile game application software providing online augmented reality game gaming services, namely conducted online with computer gaming tournaments and electronic games accessible through mobile devices. So any comments on that one, guys? No, it's amazing. I have no comments.
1: Competition. That was a super boring article. That's what I. I know. Honest. That's why I started off without.
0: <laughs> we starting off now, The next one is kind if of. I, if I show. had to
1: eliminate one, that would have been the one I eliminated. Well, you know we're moving quick tonight, Adam. Okay, that's right. But you're slowing it down. Sorry, you asked for oh, my opinion. No. You asked for my opinion, and <laughs> I gave it to you. <clears throat>
0: So the classic arcade game Virtual Racing is finally coming to the Switch in Japan this April.
1: That was actually featured at uh, Game Changers. They had a virtual fighter
0: there. Well, this is virtual racing. Racing. Oh, racing. Yeah, Yeah. And so this article is actually in Forbes. So it's a big deal. Um, Oh, what's kind of funny about this is I was looking at my virtual racing last night and thinking, you know, I really don't know a ton about this game and reading all about the game, which actually is kind of reiterated in this Forbes article. But this was one of the first um, games to actually employ 3D graphics fluidly. Mm -hmm. So there were games before this that had 3D graphics, but this is one of the first ones that actually had like a a high enough frame rate that the flow of the game uh, looked Kind of had that virtual appearance to it. Sort of the, the first hardware short, that
1: for, sort oh, of the ahead. first implementation of polygons that uh, was successful in making three D graphics.
0: And and it, and it was really this hardware that Sega had launched uh, the Model One arcade bar uh, board that allowed it to be possible. It was kind of head and shoulders above a lot, a lot of the other stuff that was on the market at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, kind of a neat uh, add-on. I'm sure it uses, like, a fraction of what's actually available on the Switch. It's amazing how the technology just kind of, like, sure. goes crazy. I'm um, always interested, the,
1: too, where the Sega stuff ends up because they don't have their own platform. So,
0: And, finally, uh, in the news, a teen in... Uh, basically in seventh grade. Well, he was in seventh grade when he came up with the concept for the game, developed an arcade game uh, that is now in an Ames bar. Um, hmm. The game is called uh, block. It was block man. Um, and so this, uh, the best part is um, the kid is quoted as saying uh, it was an English class. Uh, where we We're in a computer lab and I already finished everything. And it was basically boring at that point. So I, he like said, I programmed the game mostly in free periods or really boring classes like English. <laughs> <laughs> so he's now 18 years old uh, he started engineering in Iowa State um, but he has his own game in the uh, bar right by the university. So kind of cool.
1: That is cool. Just out of curiosity Jeff. how old were you when you got into uh, pixel art?
5: uh yeah, I was already uh, very mature so
1: uh, <laughs> you don't have and, to tell uh, us <laughs> I was 29. Oh yeah, still a young pup though.
4: So, uh,
5: I was probably, uh, middle age in the group of people I was with. There was, uh, the youngest guy was probably Dave Bonecutter. Uh, was a hardware guy. And Mm -hmm. I think he was like 19 or something like that. Sure. Uh, You had, uh, David Thiel, Tim Skelly, a few years ahead of me, but, uh, yeah, I should probably readjust it. Most of them were younger. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah, interesting. It's, you
5: know, uh, it's it's like uh, Steve Jobs and Gates. Uh, yeah. Those guys were at a prime age of being born around 1954, 1956, mm-hmm. uh, to fully benefit from uh, computers being more accessible for. Bigger segment of the
1: population. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: It's that that whole outlier concept, where yeah, what if you're close to the computer, then that may be become your job eventually. But some people that never got near one, of course, they weren't going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> that that's that's supposedly what Bill Gates believes. Really? Okay. Good
5: times. Yeah, we we read a book. Uh, my book club, uh, The Innovators. Uh, Walter Isaacson, who wrote the the, uh, the uh, Steve Jobs um, biography, anyway, fascinating books. He talks about the fact that you know Jobs and Gates and all these guys really benefited from that, uh, even in that age group. Nice. So guys like my brother, you know, I have a brother who's four years younger than me, and he, you know, a lifelong career in uh, computers, you know. Uh, He was vice president at Computer Associates for
1: for many years. Oh, wow. Cool. Yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, Brian, is it you got anything else in that tube there? I do have two quick things to announce. So there's two kind of cool products out there. One of them, uh, I'm going to plug the BitKit a little bit for those of you who aren't familiar with the BitKit. is an FPGA-based platform uh, that allows uh, emulation of some of the old games, well, emulation of the hardware and running of old ROMs. But the BitKit just updated this week and added Amidar, a new Scramble Remix, and Turtles to the lineup, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all fun games. And then the other news uh, that I was going to let everybody know, so a few weeks ago we announced that uh, Arcade Shop had launched Wico joysticks and the grommets and the recreations, which are really awesome to see those coming back and being produced in full Leaf Switch glory. They just recently launched all the colored ball tops. So for those of you that have Turtles or uh, X-Men or these other games that use the blue and orange and purple and yellow uh, ball tops, you can now get those at Arcade Shop. Fantastic. Whoa. Take my money. Back in 82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin
5: quarter mile. Back,
0: back to the, to cave. the cave with, with Time Runner.
5: Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull?
2: Hey, in our segment, we're going back to May 2nd, 1984. Does everybody remember that? Hey, Jeff, oh, yeah. where were you? Uh,
5: <laughs> I was, had been married for uh, three days.
2: Oh, man.
5: Yeah, I was uh, on my honeymoon. I was in San Yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> Nice. Nice. Yeah. Man, where was I? Uh, probably in 10th grade, wondering what I was going to do to get a date. Anyway, yeah, so let's talk about what happened on May 2nd, 1984. Uh, three, three quick little sections. The first, from an arcade perspective, uh, not much was happening in May, but consoles were being discontinued. And uh, that included the Atari. Sorry.
1: What was that? Wildest
0: dreams to new.
1: Uh, that's just an interruption in service.
2: <laughs> I thought I did that.
1: <laughs> no. It was, <laughs> it was totally me.
2: Keep going. Got it. So the Atari 5200 died. The, uh, uh, the Vectrex, which personally, that was you know one of the ones I wish I had gotten, died. And then, oddly, the Magnavox Odyssey 2, which was very archaic. They finally decided that we should stop making it. It was 1984. <laughs> My parents forced me to play that one for like
1: forever. I've I been... love the Odyssey too. Really? There's okay. a version of Qbert for it. Is it? Is it official? I don't think so. It might be a bootleg. I have it.
2: Yeah. Those are those Munchman guys. They, they kind of <laughs> bad anyway. So let's talk about the box office in May 2nd, 1984. While you were in Mexico, 16 candles opened up. Oh, yeah. uh, but it was it was being soundly beatboxed to death by the release of the original tr- dance craze movie Breakin'. Anybody here, uh, breakdancer? Anyone? No. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you weren't breakdancing in Mexico. I see.
1: Let me get Let me my parachute uh, pants no, out. Your,
2: your oh. <laughs> Safer, way safer there. Okay. Uh, so what was on TV? This is my favorite part because I, 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 I'd completely forgotten about this show. On May 2nd, 1984, if you were a teenage boy like me or 29, whatever, and you made it past <laughs> the facts of life on NBC because that was what was on before this show, you'd be rewarded with the twin teenage girls show Double Trouble. Double Trouble.
4: terrible
1: let's go that's terrible yeah, that. oh my god it's donnelly rhodes you know the singer no the, the dad is donnelly rhodes who played the doctor on battlestar galactica the, yes the smoking correct. the smoking doctor
2: yes Ooh. well he had two uh, smoking hot daughters Jean and liz seagal <laughs> they were so super cute, and I was so happy that there was a cool show that I could watch with super cute girls. Anyway, yeah, so that's the end of this. Let's talk about what's in the juke. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: what's right. in the
4: juke?
1: Mark, <laughs> okay. why don't you tell them what they've won? Uh, well,
2: uh, hey, S1500 in the chat mentioned that Katie Segal, fr- who is Peggy Bundy, and yeah. also Lilo Leela on Futurama. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: She's one of their sisters. But, oh, my God, those girls are way cuter than her.
1: Anyway, <laughs> back to this.
2: Here's the part of the show where we play like a teeny tiny part of a popular song that was on uh, the radio <laughs> on May 2nd, 1984. And then our chatters desperately try to figure out what it is. And then we give them points.
1: Points, yes, yes. Points. All right. So uh, here comes the first clip. It, it, for those of you playing, uh, it, it, we're just going to play a little segment, and you try to guess. Here we go. Good luck, boy. That it's a lot of drumming. There we go. Ooh, that's that pretty good, wasn't it? I cut that off in the right spot. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, yeah. I mean, nobody said the keyword. <laughs>
1: No, nothing. We got that's, anything?
2: That's funny. We got, uh, how many people are in the chat exactly? Like 15 Let's or so.
1: Well, 2 gen is in with Jump for Your Love. And she got the entire title correctly. Not Good Tina job. Turner, who was the artist. Pointer Sisters. And so we get a half point for 2 Gen and a half point for S 1500 that's, a, that's pretty good. It's 1500. Yeah, it's such a cool name, too.
2: Yeah. What was <laughs> oh, that? The free version of the
1: song? <laughs> the, free, the free version? Okay, I'll play the right one.
2: Yeah, way better.
0: I'm like, are you doing oh. that yourself? <laughs> no. If I- I- S one well, five hundred got both.
2: No, he's still on the Pointer sister stuff.
0: <laughs> no, but he got
1: the new. <laughs> Brian Jones says, "What the blank did you do to it?" <laughs> 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 so we got
2: two songs that were called Jump. He got a full point.
1: Who got the full point? Brian. Jones. Full point. Nice.
2: Oh wait, hold on. Let's see. See, the problem is uh, the other song just before this was also called Jump and I'm like a little confused. Jeff Ferguson may have had a half
1: point. Oh, so we got to give a half point half point to Jeff Ferguson. Okay, just put yeah. him on the board. Okay, here we go. Got so, uh, yeah, that was... Uh...
3: I've, I've seen the toughest around.
1: That's Paul Anka's version of Jump.
3: And I know baby just how you feel you gotta roll with the punches to get what's real Paul Paul Anka
2: still alive at 77 nice guy go see him
1: Yep, he's great okay here comes the next track <laughs> Brian Jones you can turn that off now <laughs> there you go here's your clip
2: That's a hard one. It is.
1: The Relfords are decidedly absent. I don't
4: know
1: what they do. S fifteen hundred I can dream about you. He's in there with a half point. And half who bit. did who did this song? It was by
2: Dan Hartman, he got both. All right. So, oh Hunter decidedly in first place. Excellent. All right, play, comes play Tiny Snippets Your next songs.
1: clip is...
3: I don't want you to misunderstand me.
2: <laughs> Peter terra National Treasure. You, oh, yeah, no. Oh, shit. Did
1: I just... You, you kind of just blurted what that I out. Know. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies. <laughs> oh Brian Jones, someone that sucks. Shut <laughs> sure, up Brian. But yeah, Brian Jones, Jeff Ferguson, Ryan, Circus World. Welcome to the show. Two ah, on Jam, welcome back. It's,
2: it's, it's not Peter Cetera. It's not Peter Cetera. He, he was in a band. Why don't you Google that and then you can get an answer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Stay the night. That is correct. Brian gets another
0: half point. A so, waiting for the band. Chicago. There we go. First Ferguson is half on the point. board with half
1: a point. All right. Next track is. That's all you
4: need.
1: Oh, we should ask Jeff if he's, he can jump in this. Jeff Lee, you can just jump in and give us the answer.
2: Yeah, Jeff, were you listening to the radio in 1984? What was going on while we were in New
5: Mexico? Uh, by but... the. I hate to disappoint you guys, but I was uh, pretty much completely into old hillbilly music.
1: Awesome.
5: <laughs> Sorry about it, a, a few weeks ago, we kind of had exercise like this. Uh, my daughter, I mentioned, had the heart surgery back in yeah. way back when, when I told, told the Cuber book, she's getting married next January and awesome. She, I was making up a playlist for her, uh, for the wedding. And we were, we were driving with our other daughter to Lansing, Michigan, and we took it upon ourselves to review the music of the sixties, seventies and eighties. And so we did a Spotify play. And so I actually heard some of these kind of songs. Okay. Um, brought back a lot of memories and a lot of, in some cases, of course, As it got more into the 80s, when I was listening to less radio, I really didn't know a lot of the songs.
1: Sure. Yeah, 1984,
5: very spotty for me.
1: (laughs) Well, that last track was Put Loose by Kenny Loggins. And Jimmy.
2: Go ahead. Jeff Burr got, uh, I think, the title, and Andy Baldwin got the artist. Yep. Half point. For
1: each of those guys. Perfect. Okay, the next one is.
2: That is not a hillbilly song.
1: No, that is definitely Maybe not. not. <laughs> yeah, that one? And Jeff Ferguson pulls it in with the cars, and Brian Jones right behind him with You Might Think. So, half oh, point right. for each of those guys, right?
4: It's
1: a tight race. It is tight.
4: It's
1: tight. All right. So the next track. I gave a long hint on that one because that's a hard one. Oh my god. Brian who's complaining of lag full point gets a full point Is everybody Oh, he got a full point? Yeah.
2: Good job. That means there's a three-way tie between S1500, Brian and Jeff. So, in
1: case you're well, paying attention, the, sh- the songs so far have been Jump by the Pointer Sisters, Jump by Van Halen, I Can Dream About You by Dan Hartman, Stay the Night by Chicago, Footloose Kenny Loggins, You Might Think the Cars and Don't Answer Me by the Alan Parsons Project. Then here comes the it's next really cool video. Uh, and here comes the next track. It's
4: watching.
1: It's watching. It's watching. That's sort of going to give it away, I think. It's sort of a little of a hint there. You know? Yeah, but sorry. But I went a little further than I went. Rosewell, close. Rockwell is correct. Andy Baldwin. And somebody watch me, Brian Jones. So, do we give Rosewell? No, that's nah, not. That's nah. not a typo. That's just. That's <laughs> just. That's just an accident. All right. So. Okay. <laughs> half point for each of those guys. All right. Next track is. That's that's all I'm going to give him on that one. Is that good? Was that good? Do you think that was good? All right, Andy Baldwin
2: pulling pulling that that one out too.
1: Wow, look at that! A little borderline by Madonna. The previous one was "Somebody's Watching Me" by Rockwell. Borderline by Madonna was this one, and so he gets full point for that. Oh,
3: full point! All right, he does.
1: The next track is this one's. This one people will get immediately too. I think. Do I leave it at that? I mean, I, I don't do know what drummer, more you need,
2: right? the drummer g- Yeah, I mean, come on. That's a I think that's a synthesizer, isn't it? I think that's their drummer. He does it during the concert. Well, yeah, because, you
1: know, they're awesome. It is Huey Lewis in the news. Annie Baldwin got that. The Heart of Rock and Roll, followed up by Keith Sheehan, who is on the board with Half uh, Point. Nice, all right. All right, Keith. Hard rock and roll by Who. Listen the news, and I think we'll just leave that where it is, right?
0: That shouldn't need anything else. <laughs> <I
1: like
0: that.
2: laughs> oh. this, is our, this is our last song, guys.
4: Tight
1: Rocky you like a hurricane, Brian Jones, and Scorpions by Andy Baldwin. That's half point for each.
3: So- half point.
1: All right, well, let's tally them up. The
2: tally, it's a rare tie. Andy Baldwin and Brian Joes tied for first. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it's correct. Jeff Ferguson and S1500 tied for second with two points each. Oh, Brian and Andy at three. And Keith Sheehan and Jen, a half point each in third place. Do we need a tiebreaker?
1: Do we have to have a tiebreaker? What's got going on? I don't know. Do you want to do a tiebreaker? I suppose. I mean...
2: Only, um, only Brian and Andy
1: can participate. <laughs> all right, I'll get. Here we go. This is going to be for all the the. Here we go. All the glory. All the glory. Well. Andy Baldwin yep. already conceded. So he doesn't. M- close. Not Milky Way tonight. But Milky Way is close. I'll tell you that. Knocking on Heaven's Doro. Not. Nope. Nope. Under the Milky Way is correct. Brian Jones. I think he just got a half point. He did. Who's
2: the artist? Half point. If Andy B gets it, then.
1: Then it's a tie, and then we're done. <laughs> well, I have a time timeout here.
2: You have a timeout? We've never had a timeout. What's that mean?
1: Uh, we're running out of time. Oh, the church. Who Ryan the couldn't church resist. <laughs> All right. Well, that has been what's in the juke. So. Oh, wait,
2: who said the church first? Is it S1500?
1: Yeah, but he's not part of the thing, right?
0: But he did, but, but he, then he took the point, half point. He took the hand. half point, so
4: that's yeah. it. <laughs>
1: and this is the time when we reintroduce our guest for people that have been paying attention. Mr. Jeff Lee, welcome back, and, uh, well, welcome, you already welcomed you, but we are welcome you again, welcome again to the show, Uh, and this is the part where we interrogate you about your past.
5: Okay, Uh, I'll be careful, but my wife, Anne has returned, along with our friend Denise, so they're sitting here in the room, they'll be fact-checking me, I think.
2: (laughs) We have a live fact-check going on. Well, first How off. well does Anne know Denise?
4: Like, you know.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this is going to be the most interesting interview. If you feel like you're handing the phone to somebody else because you don't want to answer, you go ahead and do that. Uh, I w- would like to thank you for coming on the show. It's it's an honor to have you on. You you have a pretty big uh, role in the classic arcade uh, um realm and, and you have some other things going on, but how did you get involved in the video game industry? Why don't you just give us a little bit of your origin story?
5: Uh, well, I, I had a bunch of friends who uh, played music with and, uh, you know, guitar players and singers and then um, this one guy, Richard Tracy played piano and guitar, and I knew him through uh, a mutual friend.
4: Uh,
5: so we had known each other for several years, and he was working at the Wilden Enterprises, which was uh, uh, people that make, like, cake decoration stuff. Um, I think they're still in business, actually. And he was the art director there, putting together their catalog. And, that, you know, he, from time to time, he done a little work my way, you know, a freelance basis And then he left there Because he was doing freelance as well um, And he left to become the art director At uh, leave Amusement Games uh, Running the uh, pinball art Which had previously been done Mostly by freelancers a place called Ad Posters Or Advertising Posters So he set up the department, department. He hired a guy from Ad Posters Named David Moore I hired his brother-in-law a guy named Terry doors And, uh, those three of them were doing the pinball art. Um, and then Godley decided to go into the video business and uh, he knew I was uh, into games. Um, I was doing a lot of board games and D and D and war games and stuff like that. So he knew I was a gamer. Uh, I was working at this community college I mentioned, uh, and asked me if I wanted to be their video game uh um artist, you know, designer. Uh you know, doing the uh the the pixelated graphics. So I said yeah. And that's that's how it came to pass.
4: Hmm. Wow.
5: So you mentioned so that- it was uh yeah, it was a matter of knowing knowing some guy, you know. <laughs> like so many things uh, that happened in this world kind of
0: boils down to who you know sometimes it and one of my mentors said it's uh it's who you know that gets gets the door open but it, it's the you know you that has to stay there I mean, you've done some really amazing work through your time uh, you mentioned uh tim skelly before um and how you kind of enjoyed some of his games and you were working next to them what what innovators or artists influenced you back then like who who were you looking at or were you looking at anybody or, you know, what was kind of your, I guess, inspiration or people that influenced you?
5: Well, um, I was into like mad magazine and comics as a kid. So, you know, trading cards, uh, remember the Mars tax cards. And, mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of other crazy novelties like that when I was a kid. And, uh, the, Uh, Ed Big Daddy Roth and those kind of hot rod monsters, weirdos, and all that kind of stuff. So that's the sort of thing that I loved. Um, And then I I read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, uh, starting grade school and through high school, and, well, you know, for years after that. So I was into, like, Frank Frazetta and Jeff Jones and... Uh, roy crackle and you know these other great illustrators i mean those are the artists i really admire the most and um some friends who were you know i kind of gravitated towards people that were kind of artsy so uh, a good friend of mine uh who i guess will remain nameless because he appears in the book and he didn't want to be identified with certain events but uh (laughs) the guy i know to this day he's a fantastic artist so guys you know there was personal level people i knew and then people through the media like that and of course i, I often cited uh mc escher you know the yep. the dutch artist who did so many great optical illusions and kind of mind blowing things when i was in college that was a big deal there were a lot of mc escher posters in that psychedelic scene you know black light posters and <laughs> uh that was very inspirational and um influential. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much where I came from. Not so much, uh, classical masters. I mean, I appreciate a lot of that stuff, but it uh, didn't really influence me much. Hmm.
2: Hmm. Um, so we're, yeah. So we're moving on to the next question. <laughs>
1: okay. Good, good. Mark. Way to pick up so the slack
2: question. Yeah, no, I know. What is everybody here drinking? What's happening? Um, <laughs> hey, I, I, I have a kind of a specific question. I know that we're not really, we haven't really uh, talked about each game, but um, over the course of the time that you were working, did, were, uh, let's just focus on Godly. Were there any games that did not make the cut that you wish you could have dragged across the finish line? Like, are, any, are there any concepts that, uh, are, you know, sort of lost concepts.
5: Oh, there definitely were. Um, Now I'm not sure if you guys have read my memoir It was published last fall, but I actually cover pretty much every game that I had a record of and I tend not to throw anything out. So I have a lot of game proposals, the mine from other people. so Dave Birdie was one of our um, research guys, and he was a frustrated game designer. He had a bunch of ideas, but uh, you know, even established game designers like John Newcomer and Dennis Nordman would, you know, throw out these ideas. And unless a programmer picked it up, it didn't get done. You had to be a programmer or have a programmer working on your concept. Uh, to get it finished, but the game I regret most that was never finished was uh, by Chris Krubel, who was one of the programmers for Crawl. Okay, oh. and he he had this. Chris was very hilarious guy, but he was very demented and <laughs> had serious problems. Uh, <laughs> but he was funnier than hell, and he was um. developing this game. It was called Tiles, and I think it exists. Actually, on MAME in some state, I know I've seen YouTube videos of it, um, and it never got completed. But it was to a point where it was sort of playable, and it just had this kind of sick loony look that I loved. And um, that's the one I regret the most. That
4: wow, and what was it called? What complete. was it I- called?
5: I thought that would have been wild.
1: Tiles. I'm sorry. What was it called?
5: It was called tiles. Tiles. Okay. T y l z tiles was that was okay. the, you know the working name for it. Yeah. Um, There were like chess pieces. There was a a big brutish queen. There was a
4: <laughs> oh
2: yeah like that...
5: a bishop that was like like a crow. There was a, a this lunatic jester. Uh, mm. There were, there was like. The rooks they were like you know elephants with towers on the backs and little soldiers and stuff
2: I've seen some screen caps it's pretty cool it has definitely like a cube
5: kind of feel but also like
2: a crystal castles
5: man yeah 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 it had that kind of layout that uh yeah absolutely
2: okay that's, that's a neat one
5: that, that ortho the, or, that orthographic viewpoint um, right but yeah I'll be darned if I can figure out or remember or figure out what the gameplay was because uh, if there had been an actual design document, uh, like, you know, someone like, uh, John newcomer would write like a 10 page description of his, of the game proposal and really laid it all out. And, uh, some of the other game proposals I have maybe two or three pages or something. There was nothing like this for tiles that, uh, at least nothing that wound up in my custody. And unfortunately, uh, Chris passed away a number of years ago, so. Full
1: story will never be known. Well, I have a question that's kind of on the the lines of uh, games that may have gone by or prototype things. I have in my hands, and I'm holding this up for the the chatters. Uh, it's a qbert looking drawing, but it's the guy's got um, sort of he's orange, and he looks kind of like Mike Mike Wasowski. Uh, but he's only got one eyeball. Was he just a, a concept drawing, or uh, where did he come from? I got you got to sign this for me at uh, MGC. Thank you, by the way. Oh,
5: take I I actually don't remember this drawing. Wait a minute.
1: It's uh... it's he's a orange fella with a big a green single uh, cyclops eye. Oh, that yeah. Right, right. What what um, what was he doing?
5: Is is that like a large poster?
1: Yeah, it's a big poster.
5: Yeah. Oh, that was um, that was character that ever made it in Cubert.
1: Oh, cool. So oh, wow. He wasn't yeah. Cubert, but so, he was. He was. So in...
5: there was uh, you know, a bunch of characters. I I just would make lots of sketches and um, I. Some of them would be translated onto uh, graph paper. Uh, and that was one of the ones in my collection that it went about about five or six years ago, whenever I got introduced to this retro scene, which I had no idea existed. Um, I started going through all this material and, um, I thought, well, I can make posters of some of these things. So that was like one of the first ones I did.
1: That's um, so cool.
5: There were like maybe four, characters off of those pages original pages you know just like colored pencil on graph paper and that cyclops character was one of them so you know when warren wanted characters for cubert um i showed, well here i got this i got this and that and that and the other thing and you know he chose some and uh these other guys fell by the wayside and we only had so much uh memory for yeah. graphic um you know 256 foreground characters, 16 by 16. So, you know, by the time you did animation for Qbert, jumping in every direction and wrong way and Ugg and and Sam and the snake. Yeah. It didn't leave much left over.
1: Yeah. Wow. Um, I mean, and Cuba was kind of a, if you ask me, it was very revolutionary. There don't isometric 3d had been around with Zaxxon and a couple other games, but, uh, I really like the way that Qbert was implemented. Uh, did that create a huge challenge for you having to, uh, draw all these 3d, uh, elements? No, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, you're, you were, you know, what was great as limited
5: as that graphic system was, um, it was kind of was a, a boon in other ways. Um, you really had to just kind of concentrate with the few resources you had, and uh, you couldn't produce something that was too grand or detailed because you only had so many colors and sure. so many pixels to do it. So, you know, I just did the best job I could with that. So it, it was never really an insurmountable challenge. But so has- I to work on all those games. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And. um,
1: Well, one thing I've noted about your particular drawings, and maybe this, maybe you can tie your M.C. Escher inspiration into this too. But like the the thing that I find interesting is all of the artwork that you do is very three D and it has depth. Like a lot of raster characters were just like two D and flat, and Mad Planets especially three D. You know, you know, just. Very clever with the the pixel work, Uh, so
5: yeah, uh, that really drew some notice, and um, I I know some of the reviews back then really appreciated that too. It was just a matter of kind of modeling stuff and using the with the sixteen colors you had to get you know underline something, do highlights and shadows, and um, you know Khan did some very clever work with the hardware capabilities um to get some of those effects i mean like this the star field effect he has in the background that's all like using you know the, the standard hardware but then he wrote the software to make those stars zoom out yeah mm. um yeah it was um, it was doing the most you could with the limited resources you had yeah. and uh you know, uh, David Thiel who did sounds Had similar constraints I mean he did incredible sounds um, yeah. with, with a minimum of resources And I don't know if you heard his talk At MGC uh, A few weeks ago But uh, you know, he, he to, Now to the present day Where storage is no problem at all You have an in, infinite amount A virtually infinite amount of storage uh, And you can do anything But it's not quite the same challenge Um, and maybe the satisfaction that you got of making something that sounded great uh, that you did back then with the limited resources.
4: Yeah.
1: Well, and those, those sounds were so unique and crazy.
4: Uh,
1: It was a really interesting game. So anyway i sort of tangented off why don't, uh you could could you tell that mc escher's story for our our guests just uh just to as the you know where did that come from
5: uh you mean my exposure to mc escher
1: yeah i mean i, I guess i heard a story where he, mc escher's uh uh some of his work had sort of inspired some elements of Cubert. maybe i'm wrong
5: oh well no absolutely absolutely um you know, he, he did a lot of periodic drawing
4: mm-hmm.
5: uh, where, you know, these creatures are, I mean, the finest examples, you know, these creatures are all interwoven to each other where they make kind of a, a weave, a blend, you know, where, where the top of one animal or creature fits at the bottom of another and so on. Sure. I mean, that's it, taking it to the, uh, you know, to the acne of his art but at the simplest level it goes back to the you know what everyone sees as cubes and cubert but that stuff goes back to moorish architecture in spain it goes back to uh roman tiles um and ancient roman maybe even earlier where you know whatever (laughs) artist or artisans discovered that okay i can put these things together in this shape and then You know, if they're like the right colors repeating like this, you get this optical effect. So, um, I mean, that just always fascinated me Mm -hmm. throughout the, uh, you know, from my college days on through the 70s. And I I did a lot of drawings like that um, during my, you know, pre-Gottlieb years. So when I wound up at Gottlieb and was given this opportunity to work on a computer, Uh, It it was probably inevitable That I would end up drawing this kind of stuff Uh, Because it's repetitive (laughs) And we were basically working with tiles In the software Where it was so easy just to take the tiles And do a repetition pattern Um, So that's I mean it was just natural For me it was just a natural development
1: (laughs) Brian you had a question about Mad planets
0: (laughs) yeah so uh <laughs> mad planets why so mad so <laughs> <laughs> um you know you would
5: have to ask Khan that and of course unfortunately he passed away a few years ago and <laughs> he can't <didn't laughs> tell you why they're mad i guess they're mad because you're shooting at them
1: <laughs> are they yeah. are they mad crazy like they're all over the place
5: they're angry no they. yeah yeah they're angry
0: oh no you have angry and yeah, not they're, angry. Not
5: insane. they're they're, they're, they're angry. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, very,
1: uh, very angry planets. Mad planets probably sounds better than angry planets as a game.
5: Right. right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we, in, in the memoir, I let con tell his own story pretty much of how that came about. Um, but well, when Terry, Terry Minnick and I went to, um, take these interviews with Khan. There's actually a lot of material that, you know, never really made in the book. He went into quite a length once, once you got him talking about some of his concepts. Um, he could become very uh, verbose uh, on the subject. And I don't really have a copy of this, but at MGC, maybe the first or second year I went, I persuaded Khan. Show up, and someone, and I think it might be Terry, you know, Trickman, who had pretty much recorded a long monologue of cons, um, talking about man planets and programming and so on. So, uh, and I don't know what's become of that material, Terry has it in his archive somewhere,
4: ah. uh,
5: but but for basically it, w- it was a programming exercise for him. And because uh, these guys, like Warren, has acknowledged, uh, it was all new for them. They had never programmed games before. They were learning as they went, and a lot of it was experimentation for, for Warren with Cubert. It was like a binary thing: the ball drops, hits a cube, and it can bounce this way or that way, and that's the genesis of the gameplay. Uh, as cubert of all and with mad planets um i think it was the starfield was how it started for khan he wanted to get this effect uh using you know these algorithms he had written to generate the starfield and then you know what do you do with that okay well okay let's do something with planets because it looks like starfield
4: nice um
0: yeah so the, so the irony of this is that uh, like so the other game that I've been working on and banging my head against a wall trying to get the hardware to work is um, Mach 3 <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, okay. so we, the 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 funny thing is you know so as we we're prepping for the show and kind of going through some stuff um, you know that was really kind of a, a game changer and a really neat game um, what was being a part of that development like and uh, did you know it was going to be uh, a, a popular one. Well, I gotta make a confession here. I actually did very little work in mockery. Okay.
5: Um, for some reason, I'm given more credit for it than I deserve. Cause I, I contributed very little to that. Uh, that was mostly the brainchild of, uh, Chris Brewer. Um, he programmed it. He did a lot of the art. He was very talented at ours. um, and another guy, Fred Darmstadt, who actually did uh, another prototype game, which was never released, and they, they have a, a prototype we put together at the Galloping Ghost Ooh. with components that have been salvaged from uh, Dave Bonecutter, who I mentioned earlier. He had, like, some of the original chips that been in his attic in Las Vegas for the last 30-some years and somehow survived. Mm-hmm. Um I had some original prototype cabinet artwork and then Doc Mack and his crew um, put this machine together from a, you know, cupboard cabinet and a standard Gottlieb board. Um, and it was actually kind of profiled on a Red Bull special about, um, they had a series called Screenland. It was like a reality show. Oh, okay. uh, that kind of, kind of details how this game arena, the Fred Darmstadt game um, was put together in prototype. Anyway, Fred and Chris were the main people working on Mach three. Plus a guy named bill Jacobs. He was one of our managers who supervise the, um, all the footage from the airplanes that they shot out on the west coast um that was a, a big deal for Gottlieb. they had to make some important decisions budgetary decisions uh to commit by the uh the, the laser players uh, the laser disc players
4: um
5: so they they took a real gamble on that and it paid off for them as uh it was they made a lot of money off that game Unfortunately, the uh, hardware was not up to the task, and uh, you guys probably know from messing with that. I presume most of the trouble you have is with the laserdisc.
0: Uh, actually, the right now it's um, the laserdisc controller is uh, really giving me a hard time. The laserdisc player oh. is far from far dead, but the um, one of the neat things there was a pr- product called the Dexter that was released a few years ago. That uh, replaces laserdisc players with a pi, and so you throw oh, this okay. little device in, and no longer have to deal with all of the um, difficulties of having laserdiscs die on you and all those things.
5: Right. I guess they tended to get real dirty, or, or the machine was jarred. Um, then it started. I don't. Know, it started malfunctioning. So uh, well, that's great that it can be enjoyed. Uh, I know the one they have at the galvin goes is original with the laser disc and often when I go in there to you know show a friend or a, a family member oh here's the games I worked on that machine's usually done
0: it's it's funny <laughs> I know um when I talked to doc and I, I have known each other for some time and uh, a while ago I talked to him about his like laser discs and was he going to convert to dexter and you know, maybe four or five years ago was no, no, no original hardware for everything. And then the last time I talked to him, he, I, there was a, yeah, Dexter might not be a bad idea. <laughs>
5: <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, if you want the games functional for your, for your customers, yeah, you <laughs> then not have to, it's a, it's like, well, what kind of godly games would be out there if you had the original power uh, supply, right? Yeah. Um, Oh, which I understand. I mean, I'm not a hardware guy, but I have just heard complaints about that power supply forever. But um, well, I get the impression a lot of collectors have replaced that.
0: It is or, very popular to replace that with yes. a switching power supply. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so Hey, and, and that, that reminds me the knocker in Qbert Did, did you come up with that or was that somebody else or like, no, there
5: there was a guy named Rick Uh tie who was a a technician uh, who was out there at the Bensonville plant. And uh, you know, he would, I guess his function was to put together the prototypes that would go out on test. And um, so he had, you know, he had hardware shop, uh, he wasn't, was not a programmer, but it was his, his idea for that solenoid or whatever it was. Right. To, uh, be put in and something I learned about in the course of writing the memoir was that originally they wanted like a piece of foam rubber or something, uh, to be hit instead of the wood. So it gave it more of a funk a as opposed to a hard knock. No. But in the manufacturing process, was deemed uh, too con- time-consuming. Nice. Well, constantly... stuff, so they just they just dispense with that and went with the uh, art so Yeah. If you, if you want to get the original feel to it, put that piece of foam rubber in your Kubert machine, <laughs> and that would actually be more authentic, uh, or that'd be more of the uh, director's cut.
4: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: and it, it seems natural to me. That Gottlieb would stick a knocker in a video game because they were a pinball company. Oh yeah,
5: yeah. Well, they were all pinball companies. Well, all the Chicago companies were pinball
1: companies. Yeah, but I mean, like Gottlieb was the king of pinball for many years.
5: Yes, they invented the uh, flippers. Yeah, uh, my understanding. So that's and what would pinball be without flippers? It,
1: it, it is really know, cool. Yeah, I know. You, you. can't play pinball without flippers. Well, you lift yeah. the whole game up. It's very heavy. I, I mean,
5: I mean, they did at one time. I, right, hard to imagine. Can you imagine what fun was fun was that? Um, Leaning and that, shimming. You just shook. You just shook the table around and slammed it. I
1: guess. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> did you have anything to it do looks- with <laughs> Cupid's Quest?
5: I did the graphics for it.
1: Well, fantastic! Oh no, no, yes.
5: Cupid's- no, I'm sorry, Huber's Quest. I was thinking Cuber's Cubes. No, oh, cubes Cuba's Quest no. No, I had nothing to do with that. That was a pin. Mark. Um Yeah, that was a pin. I, I really did not work on pins very much. I did a little production work on one game and um I actually was a model for uh the Explorer on the El Dorado City of Gold. Um, which was produced, it was painted by Larry Day, and he had me and uh, a woman named Jerry Knighton from the accounting office be his models. But that's the extent of my, well, except for uh, Caveman. I did work on that, but uh, again, I did the video graphics. Okay. Not the, not, none of the play, uh, playfield art or.
2: So, are there any photos of you in these uh, in these modeling sessions that we can go find somewhere, or is that in your memoir?
5: Or? Uh, the, I think I forget <laughs> if I publish that in there. I I have the backlash right? And uh, I actually have the original painting too. Um,
4: oh
2: wow! I don't
5: know. If, uh, yeah, I don't know what Larry did with his original photos, uh, right? I imagine I don't think he's a pack rat, as I am. Right. <laughs> <That's probably wrong. laughs> All right.
1: Just yeah. curious. Speaking of your memoir, why don't you give a full plug for that? Where can we get that thing?
5: Uh, you can get it from uh, from me.
4: Okay. <laughs> On your website.
5: Uh, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a website that. i uh, set up, so it's like. Let me find my card. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm not as well prepared for this as I should be. Here, that's all uh, right.
1: We'll plug it roll. a couple times. We'll vamp for you. Yeah,
5: uh, yeah. you know, HTTP slash slash etcetera. www. dot <laughs> com. Um, so you should be able to find it there. And oh. there's uh, a way you can order the book at that site and if that doesn't work people can just uh they can send me an email um and i can direct them so you know that would be jeffrey p m lee at sbc and
1: sbc so global yeah
5: a e f f r e y e like paul m like mark l e e at sbc
2: Two oh, got two it. middle names. There...
5: And I'll give you a link if you can't find oh. it at other. Room.
4: Okay,
2: got it. Well, we'll put a link in our uh, show notes and then in the uh, whenever we make this podcast available.
0: Okay, cool. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. So nice. there was a question from the chat, and I know that you're not a hardware guy because we've had some discussions about hardware, but um, the. Yeah. So one of the questions uh, posed was uh, about the stick for Cuber and uh, was the stick for Cuber and Cuber cubes different. And then how were those decisions made? This is from Andy Baldwin. Uh, I don't know if you have much info on that, but I figured I'd ask. (laughs) Uh,
5: I think it was a standard four way joystick and it was just tilted. You know, it was mounted instead of up and down right and left. It was mounted in a X fashion. Uh, that was really Warren's call. Warren Davis, you know, had to make that's the way he wanted to do it. Cause that's what made sense with the way Hubert jumps around on the cubes. Right. Uh, but a lot of people didn't like that. <laughs> they, they, they were, it didn't seem intuitive. You know, you expect, you expect like a Pac-Man joystick, right? Where you're going up and down, right and left. So uh, he got a little grief, but he—that's uh, what he wanted, and he, you know, stood to the ground on it. And then, as far as Cupid's cubes, it would just carry over at that point. By that, you know, it was like that's the way it is by then, right? It's the sequel right. game; you're not going to change it. And it obviously the way Neil Neil Bernstein programed uh, designed the program that game. Uh, he set up the tic-tac-toe movement to work on the same
0: principle, same coordinates. Very neat.
4: And
0: then there was another question uh, coming from Brian Jones. Uh, what was your work on us versus them?
5: Uh, in that case, yeah, I, I again, I was also the model uh, on the marquee for that. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, there's a there's like the terrified guy in <laughs> on the lower right-hand corner kind of like screaming. And, uh, that's me again. Um, but I did the ships, the, the fighter, uh, the fighter planes and then all the, uh, weird polygons and explosions and all that kind of crap that <laughs> appear. um, and us versus then, I, I um I was not one of the actors. none of us were the actors. they uh, you know they hired professional actors. That, that game was the brainchild of Warren Davis and Dennis Nordman and Richard Tracy. And they produced the darn things, they wrote the script, they hired the actors engineered all of that and wow. uh, that that was produced as a kit. For the, uh, the mock-free owners who maybe didn't, because the industry was in a little trouble at that time, you know, uh, so operators didn't necessarily want to buy a whole new machine, but they here they could just swap out, you know, controls and artwork and uh, a new laser disc and have a new game. <laughs> Unfortunately, the company uh, <laughs> tanked not soon afterwards, so.
2: Was that like? Were you there when the uh, all the pink slips were held out, or what, what was the? Uh- yeah,
5: well, there was there was a couple rounds. There was the, a first round, and you know they let some number of people go. Sam Russo had done uh, Three Stooges. Uh, Tom Elnowski, who you know, I'm actually currently working on some games with, and then oh, great. several other guys uh, were let go. Some other guys saw the writing on the wall and they they left for greener pastures and. I stuck it out, but uh, yeah, a few months later, the whole thing shut down. So that that was a bummer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a great job. Um, you know, talk about the challenge creating artwork. Well, it wasn't much of a challenge because it was so much fun. You know, right. And uh, so it's not often you get a chance in life to uh, have a job that's so much fun. So that was that was a drag.
1: So you did the art on Three Stooges too also
5: yes yes uh that was from the time i started so it was like in the summer of 81 and no sooner had arrived and you know as i was fan as a kid of the three stooges like most guys my age and um and i knew they had been columbia pictures we were owned by columbia pictures so i thought oh this is a no-brainer Let's do a Three Stooges game. Well, it took a couple of years for that to actually get off the ground. Um, so Sam and I designed that game, and um, and he programmed it. Tom did some of the programming on it, and um, yeah, I did the artwork. And,
4: uh, well,
5: that it it kind of, kind of got bumped in production for um, Mach Three. Okay. Again, they had to make a choice. Well, we're make we can make a lot of money with mock three. So Sam's game got kind of bombed. I believe it's pretty rare. There weren't that many manufactured. Um, and you had that was a game with three, you know, simultaneous play three players. So that was kind of unusual.
2: Wow, uh,
5: for the time. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I wish we had done it as a black and white game. That would would have been more in. Oh, that would have way. been so perfect. Yeah, I've never even thought I, of that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that didn't happen. Cause there's a, a logo like a splash screen mm-hmm. uh, that's in color of the yep. subjects and yes. that S- Sam really did a lot of data compression on that game. And he actually got a lot more artwork into it than normally than the other games had. Um, so I was able to take like a full set of background characters, which were eight by eight bright and 128 of them. And I was able to spend them all on this one blaster. of the three stooges there in the title um, that was in color, but I also did a black and white version which was more of a direct copy of the original one that you would have seen on WGN TV, you know, sure. Back in the uh, 50, 50s and 60s. Uh, so, but I don't remember if I lobbied that, Oh, we should do this whole thing in black and white. I, I really don't remember, but I wish we had, cause I would have been yeah, so much better. For and unique.
1: I, unique-
5: I could have done a lot better modeling having 16 shades of white through black with all the grays, than uh, a color palette. Since we still only had the sixteen
1: colors. Yeah, so you went. They went with the Turner Classic uh, Movies colorized version. <laughs> yeah, right. Wow.
5: Right. Yeah. 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 We sold
1: out. Man. It's funny. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a story I don't need to tell.
2: <laughs> I think we have about three questions left. Um, one. One more question in our chat. Brian Jones asked. When did your signature fedora become a thing?
5: <laughs> um actually when I was traveling around the country in the uh late 70s ah.
4: drawing
5: those pic- drawing those pictures of Escher's Tetris cubes I was wearing a fedora back then. I I think I bought my first one in Pagosa Springs, Colorado like around 1976. I've always loved hat.
2: <laughs> nice. I love it. I mean, talk about something that everybody used to wear and it, like almost nobody wears now. It, it's, it's, it's an, yeah, interesting, I know it. It's a well, fashion. You know,
5: they, they, they've come back to some degree. Um, but I would say as a rule, most men are, uh, are hatless too much. <laughs> right. Well,
2: I I am trying to wear a baseball hat right now. So we'll see how that
5: goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, baseball caps are fine, but uh, yeah. Um, you know, splurge now and then, Stop. you know, I go to, I go to retail shops a lot uh, cause I'm kind of an antiquarian yes. and uh, I've only found a couple of men's fedoras, perhaps in good shape. So I'm wondering, and I see ladies hats all the time from, from way back, you know, wonderful women's hat, but I wonder where all the men's hats have gone to.
4: Yeah.
5: Um, and i have a, of them that I do see are in poor shape or they're too small uh, <clears throat> for my fat head. Um, but there must have been a bunch of fat headed guys back in the day. So I wonder what's become of them.
1: Mm. Well, it, it can't be as fat as my head. There's just no way.
5: Adam's head is very large.
1: <laughs> I can attest. <laughs> I, <laughs>
5: In your case, it's probably stuff full of brains. I have, Uh, I have like a uh,
1: seven and five eighths hat size, it's huge. There's a lot of bone in there. I don't know what I don't know what's being protected. That's
2: my stuff, yeah.
1: Yeah. You and I could exchange. I actually have a collection of fedoras, I don't wear them very often, but I Adam, I I even go
2: get a fedora. All right, I'll get a fedora. Okay, good. So, let me ask the second to last question. Um, and I don't know if you'll have an answer for this, but other than the video game artistry, what other fields have you dipped your artistic toes in?
5: Well, it was mostly commercial art. Okay. Um, uh, Yeah. So, you know, storyboards and animation, you know, like animation production, right. uh, Logos, uh, illustrations, newspaper illustrations, stuff like that. Uh, in the last few years, uh, I've been doing more public art stuff like murals and um, I just finished painting a couple days ago, a table. There's gonna be a, a display in Lagrange, Illinois, uh, where I, you know I live in that community or nearby. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're doing a game table thing, like a checkerboard was had to be incorporated into the design and um our pastor from our church they sponsored a table they asked me to paint it up so um i did a table i just posted pictures on facebook of the table uh and i've incorporated some optical illusions into that uh some of which i uh made up some of which i kind of borrowed or stole from <laughs> other sources and um I'm hoping to incorporate some of these things into a, a game that Tom Melanowski and I are working on um, called Snotts and Boogers, which uh, <laughs> tip a hat to the, uh, the original Qbert name. Uh, and this one will feature snots and Boogers. So, uh, and I'll throw in some uh, obstacles there. They're never really not necessary for the game, but I just like that sort of look. So they will be present in the background or something, you know? Love it. <laughs> wow. Dope.
2: So I think our last, we're at our last question. I'm waiting for Adam.
0: We, it looks we like he one... gave
2: up. He, he may have given up on his hat.
0: Yeah. We did have one oh, more question.
5: Can not find a hat? Find
0: hat? <laughs> oh, he did, there he is. Oh, There we go. Yep. We did have one question uh, pop up in the chat here and that was Brian Jones. And I, I'm going to offer a chance for Uh, This this is Brian Jones of Orlando, Florida, right? It is. It is. is. Brian Jones (laughs) suffers through our show. Um, But he had asked, um, what was your involvement and what was your uh, uh, kind of role in Exterminator?
5: (laughs) Okay. uh, After Premier Electronics was an outgrowth, you know, the pinball assets of Gottlieb. And Gil Pollock had some investors, and um, they continued making pinball. They took over the old uh, Bensonville plant where Qbert was conceived way back when. And they were in business for a few years as premier, and then later they got back the Gottlieb name. And at some point, Gil decided, oh, we should do some more video games. So he contacted Warren uh to do a game and um then i was added into the group Or and i worked on that it was warren's concept um it was the first instance where we had uh digitized images to work with the target board i think it was and we were able to capture live video we were also able to take uh images from camcorders which was kind of a had reached the consumers at that point and I was you know married with a couple little kids and uh, so I had a camcorder to shoot their uh, cuteness and um, I used that extensively for the graphics. Um, but that was pretty much Warren's concept um, and it was pretty wacky. it didn't do very well uh, for whatever reason, but it actually got some good reviews.
4: Um, yeah.
5: It, it was so bizarre. Um, and so like a lot of the backgrounds were like models that I built or shot in the homes, like in Warren's house or in my house. Um, so for me, seeing that game again, I hadn't seen it in many years. So doc got one at galloping ghost and to see those backgrounds is like, Oh my God, Like my kid's bedroom, (laughs) or there's one scene where you're in a garage. Yep, and that is my mother's garage, Um, and she just sold that house. She moved out of that house like two years ago. Wow! So that was like the last link of a home or building that I had access to that was actually in that game was my mother's garage, and then just a few months ago, that the building was torn down. There. Oh. It, you know, they bought this house in Oakbrook and tore it down. They're going to build some McMansion there, you know? <laughs> so so uh,
0: Brian has, you know, Brian has two more follow-up questions. One I think is rhetorical. Uh, were you and Warren smoking the same thing the day uh, you went over that stuff was the uh, rhetorical question. Uh, <laughs> but then the question was, uh, was it Jeff? Was it yours or Warren's hands in the game? Those are Warren's hand. Really cool.
5: And and uh, the germ of that idea actually began while Gottlieb was still in business. Um, because, again, in my files, um, I have, before we had digitizing capabilities. I just took all these Polaroids of Warren's hand. And I still have the Polaroids. And then, um, <laughs> you know, transfer them to uh, line drawings. And those line drawings became, uh, drawn on uh graph paper. So I have all those drawings of Warren's hands in all those stages, but there was very little development done on it at Gottlieb. It was really
0: at premier where it came to fruition. You know, I actually, uh, this is, the, the funny part is, I said I was working on the Mach Three. pickup up a Mad planets this morning. uh, Picked up an Exterminator four weeks ago. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh!
1: <laughs> Brian just has—he's a big I'm, fan of your work.
0: I'm trolling you uh, and, and your work. <laughs> well, that, that isn't, isn't that a just, is it, And that's in the original cabinet—that wacky, yep. Uh, house type. Ca- it looks like an outhouse. There's, <laughs> yep, yes. it is. It's in the original. It actually was. Uh, they, it was. Of all places, it showed up in the captain's auction out on the west coast, and I, I for some reason, tuned in and couldn't believe there was a, a an exterminator for sale on captain's oh auction. My God.
4: And oh so God. I,
0: I had to <laughs> bid on it. It was it was that, and there was a Mister Viking, and I was trying to get both, and decided that the uh, exterminator was the one worth it, worth uh, putting the funds. in. you just never see them up for sale. It's a really neat cabinet. I I yeah. I collect a lot of stuff for kind of the appearance, the look. I like the game. I love the games, but to me, a lot of my collection also has that. Uh, I like the artwork and kind of what the game presentation is, and that's just such a unique, neat game. Um, yeah. I had I had to go well, get that one.
5: I had forgotten all about that cabinet So I saw it at the Elf and Ghost. And uh, what it reminds me of is actually the kind of stuff that inspired me as a kid. Uh, there, there's a, uh, the Hawk Model Company made these. Uh, plastic models called weirdos, and they were like these crazy hot rods driven by monsters. And there was one called Huey's Hot Rod, and he was like a hillbilly. So he was this monstrous hillbilly with the pointed cap and you know <laughs> the big bulging eyes, the tongue hanging out, and he's driving this dragster. But the the body of his his dragster is like an outhouse, it's like the exterminator cabinet with the, the pointed roof and stuff. And, 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 and the moon, you know, the moon like you see on a, a outhouse door,
4: yeah, <laughs> yeah, butt
5: rod. <laughs> and you've got, of course, a, there's a big jug of moonshine that comes with it. I and I found that model years later. I mean, all the models I made when I as a kid, my dad threw out, uh, but years later. I would go to these hobby shops, and sometimes you'd find the originals never opened on shelves. And sometimes they're reproductions, but I got a hold of a Huey's Hut Rod, and I have it in my house today. I'll paint it up. Cool. Looking wow. as uh, fresh as it was back in 1964. <laughs> <laughs> do
1: you have any other games in your house?
5: Yeah. Uh, I actually have, do not have any arcade games
1: whatsoever. Well, that's all right. Um,
5: it's, you know, people can't believe that, but uh, you know, <laughs> I just never did. And my wife, of course, is very glad. Yeah. What um, you can't put fit an arcade game in your bedroom? What's wrong
2: with that? <laughs>
5: <laughs> I actually live. I actually live in a huge house that yeah. I could. Ha- I would have room, there. but I'd have to haul it up three flights of stairs oh. to, get it to this the, the one permitted area.
1: And Nobody uh, wants to do that. You know what? I'm
2: not
5: going to well, do that. If you no.
2: invite all three of us, we'll do it for you. Sure.
1: We'll bring at least you'll, you'll one game.
0: Up me? Yeah, sure. We'll do that.
1: As long as it's not an Atari game, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: so yeah. I'll, you, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'm not carrying a mock three up three plates. Yeah, that okay. thing is, oh
1: my God. So <laughs> what does the sure future hold? Do you have any working, right? other games that you're working on?
5: Well, I've been w- working on some games with Tom and, um, We're using, like, Unity, and so it's been a learning curve. Uh, Tom hadn't done any programming like that in a while. So, you know, we had a couple that we started, and they kind of stalled, and uh, then I said, well, let's try something that I proposed way back when. So I was shown that version at MGC, and we got some valuable feedback from people, and I talked to Brian about controls, so he's – Going to work on something for me that I think will improve uh, our prototype, and we're going to take some of the suggestions we had. But it was uh, the theme was magnetism, and it was you know something I had proposed in '81, and none of the programmers there ever took it up. Um, so we're messing with that, and um, with the new controls and the new direction of things. Hopefully, we'll have something that be fun enough to put out on test. And then there, there's like the Nats and boogers thing, which is an idea of Tom's for a kind of a shooting game. And I thought, well, let's steal from ourselves mm-hmm. and, um, you know, take some elements, uh, you know, a name in this case and uh, maybe a few other things uh, and put it into that. So, but that's hardly moved along at all. Uh, very early for Snotts and Boogers. Sure, sure. It'll be a while before. Maybe next year at MGC we'll have something.
1: That'd be fun to see. In that
5: regard. Yeah. So it'll be a few years. You know, it's just the two of us doing it in our spare time. And um, often real life intervenes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So uh, it's, yeah, it's not a rush to get it out the door. I mean, look look at the Aquinas crew. How many years have they put into Dark Presence? And, um, so we figure we have some leeway if it's taken this long and they they finally got something going that's pretty playable and pretty much there. Yeah, uh, we, I think we get an indulgence
1: if we take three or four years. Great. I think that's just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you for being on the show. Stick around for a little bit afterwards. Uh, but, yeah, I'll do that. Uh, because we'd like to, we'd like to yeah, round up here a little bit with you. I did put on about six or seven or eight fedoras for the, the chatters to see.
4: Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh,
5: I've I not been able to see any of this.
1: Yeah, I might uh, end up sending them to you because I don't wear them enough. Yeah, yeah. That'd <laughs> be I mean, you have the same size
2: head. Why not?
1: Exactly. So, but uh, Chatters, thanks for sticking with us. I want to say thanks again for listening in to the double R's. That's Arcade
4: Radio. Yeah.
0: That would be like us on uh, Facebook, Arcade Radio, or check us out at our semi-regular updated blog at ArcadeRadio.com. That's R-C-A-D-E-R-A-D-I-O.com.
2: You can also call and leave comments and questions on the game line, which nobody does. 612-548-GAME. That's 4263 in case you don't have letters
0: on your phone.
1: (laughs) Follow us on Twitter for updates on our latest shenanigans
0: subscribe to our YouTube channel and click on the notification bell so you know when we're streaming live. It just takes one click.
1: Or two.
0: Or three. You can also (laughs) subscribe to our podcast
2: on iTunes,
0: Google
1: Play Music, and most places where podcasts are played. Including Anchor FM. That's going to be it for the show from Arcade Radio. We hope you had a great time, and we'll see you on the next episode. Yeah, we used to say all kinds of lewd things. We just are quiet now.
2: Yeah, now we're like, ah, I'm not take my pants off. <laughs> I'm leaving. I I'm
1: leaving my pants on. You want it? <laughs>
2: well, this is back when we were. Oh, hello. Hello. It's it's a joke. It's, it's a, not a real
4: dial tone. Yeah, it's yeah. just a fake
1: dial tone. Fake, but it's over oh. now. Turn we're
2: offline.
5: Off the air.
1: <laughs> Jeff, thanks for getting on the show. You are
5: awesome. Oh, you're Jeff. welcome. Uh, thanks for having me out. It was fun. I think what, you. We'll do,
1: what we'll do next time is we'll have you in color.
5: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or we'll all be in
2: black
0: and white and we can do black and white would be good, <laughs> We can do three stooges oh, stick. Actually, I was that gonna would say we could be the three black and white stooges. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I being- call curly. <laughs> I'll
1: be Mo. I gotta grow my hair out though.
5: All right, fine. <laughs> yeah. Mo, Mo works pretty good in black and white, but both the hair the contrast of that bold cut. Right. Yeah, I
2: yeah. Guess, I guess I'm Larry then that.
1: Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> there's curly, Larry, Mo, and Sh- and Shemp. Shemp. Shemp That's right. I know there was another one. I think there are yeah. multiple curlies, weren't there? Couple.
5: Well there's Curly Joe and then there was uh Joe. Okay but you know, they came after the original curly died. Right.
4: Uh, yeah.
5: Anyway, it's kind of a complicated history. I, 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 you didn't
2: get to meet any of the stooges that were still alive when you were making that. Did you?
5: No. Cause I'm not sure any of them were still alive. Oh, really? But, Let me think. Um, Mo was, di- I think Mo was the last one and he had died. Um, I don't know when he died, but his oh. the ownership of the Stooges was in the hands of his daughter, and she was married to a guy named Norman Maurer, who actually came from the animation business. I learned all this from Sam when I was writing the memoir, uh, and they so Sam had a phone conversation with Norman Maurer, who evidently gave him some kind of pop quiz how well did he know his stooges material and Sam knew it well enough that they said, okay, we can do this. Uh, but you've got to use so-and-so some guy who was the official voice for all the stooges for like cartoon shows and whatever else was going on. in the stooge world as it existed in the uh, early eighties. Uh, so Sam and Tom went to that recording session and met that dude. Um, so that's as close as they got to uh, the stooges.
4: Evidently,
2: well, uh, Mo was born in the eighteen hundreds. So, yeah. yes,
0: <laughs> he was an yeah. old man. <laughs> well, evidently, Curly Joe was still ava- uh, still alive until ninety three. Ninety three, yeah.
5: Ninety three, oh, okay. Yeah, but it was Curly Joe. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. Eighteen ninety seven for for Mo. That's uh, yeah. He didn't. He was going to make that.